Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the first of our weekly review shows of the 2024 Guinness Men's Six Nations Championship here on the KLS Rugby Podcast. After a stellar weekend of action, we have an excellent panel ready to comb through the follicles of individual excellence and a couple of proper howlers in there as well. Join me tonight, we do have your debutante as well as a returnee in her first appearance on these airwaves, fresh from an enjoyable trip to Cork. Welcome on Red Army and rock and roll host Patricia Vieira. So welcome, Patricia. Yeah, I mean, it's not really unusual for me and you to be doing podcasts, is it? <laughs> We're <laughs> just a... pretending like it's just a slightly different, like, strain of the same thing that we do every week. So what's Red Army? Would you like to tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> we will have England We're here to ben... talk about Monster versus Crusaders, correct? I, I won't say no, but I think our <laughs> listeners will. I think they'll stop listening. The um, day 253 as URC champions and day one as world champions is not going down well in some circles. <laughs> I not... got some I got some angry DMs last night. <laughs> we might get into that off record. Um, <laughs> we will have an England fan join us later on to look back on the three senior games. But we will start with the Ireland under 20s who are looking to go back to back to back in the Greenland Six Nations. And it started with an absolute thriller in Aon Provence. A rematch of the Junior World Cup final last year as Ireland edge at 37-31. Patricia, we said ourselves it was an absolute epic between probably the two best nations in terms of production line at the moment. And in some ways, it's kind of what under-20s rugby is all about. Just sit down, enjoy a game. Yeah, I think for those lads as well, like so important, I suppose, to get another crack at that France team so soon after the World Cup final. Like, I think the French under 20s team are like terrifying. I think that we've, you know, anyone who watched any of that World Cup would know, would sort of see that, but it's like Ireland have won these back-to-back Grand Slams and they, you know, they would have been well able to beat that France team in that World Cup final. And I think they would have known that. So getting a chance to sort of have another crack off them and actually like taking it, like taking maybe not a scalp when you look at Six Nations form, but like, you know, taken the win back off them I suppose and really setting themselves up for that sort of triple grand slam which is 
insane shit when you think about it like to to do to win one grand slam never mind like set yourself up for three in a row it really speaks volumes to that group like they're such a talented group of players yeah absolutely and it's 22 wins in the last 24 six nations games about going back to 2019 and you look at the players that have come through like 2019 had i believe harry bird and craig casey were the starting halfbacks that year 2020 was jack crowley's year thomas aaron was in that not just Monster Pains or name in here, but like I do know where the Monster Lads was, was in the squad. 2021 was Alex Candellan. Um, 2022, they haven't properly come through yet, but Charlie Tector was there last year, had Sam Prendergast and Brian Leeson. And Brian Leeson was one of the ones who impressed again last night. As you, Hugh Gavin, another second year player, Evan O'Connell, another second year player. It's so I, funny watching it's a Brian trend, Gleason, isn't it? watching Brian Gleason especially looks like a grown man playing under 20s and like. Yeah. Just he just dominated that game. Like he he's he's so sort of, and we've seen it like at senior level for Munster, I suppose as well. Like I obviously don't want to go too like. Let's just talk about Munster. Um, but we I, do want well, to. We just I can't. do want to do that. I do want to do that. But you know, but like we've we've seen a good few of like what I've seen because obviously I'm watching Munster games more than I'm watching other games. But like. A lot of these under-20s players, the Munster contingent, have been playing senior games because of the injury situation at Munster. And Brian Gleeson is one who doesn't look out of place at all at that level. And then to see him here in this game, you were just like, you are, you know, on the road to superstardom. Like, I'm not saying that he is arrived or anything, but like, if his trajectory keeps going the way he is, it's kind of frightening, like what Ireland could have in 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 a couple of years, in a year even, like, you know, he is something something else. Like, Yeah, absolutely. And like, I noted himself and Hugh Gavin in particular as kind of two lads who stood out, physically stood out. Like, I think Gavin had something like nine carries and 140 metres or something off it. Like, talk mm-hmm. about making the game line every time. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. But as well as that, it was the mentality as well. Like, they yeah. take the lead with five minutes to go. France go down the field and score a try. And they kicked two penalties then as well to go and win it. Like that's that's something we probably don't off, often see in under twenties teams to just have that resilience because it would be fair to say that the crowd was on their backs a small bit and on the referees back a small bit, as would be the case in you know, in the south of France. But like to show that is is really impressive. And I I don't really remember many Ireland under twenties teams who've dug out results like the last two years. And I know they've they've won Grand Slams, but like it's their second win in France. They won over in England um, two years ago. They've had a couple of tight games. Like they were down a half time against Wales last year, won up by 20 points. Like mm. there's an incredible mental fortitude to this this bunch. And probably some praise has to go to Richie Murphy as well as, as the coach. Yeah, like, you know, they are, I think, an exceptional group. And we say that a lot when you watch under 20s games. Like it's, it's, stands to reason that not all of this group will excel at you know sort of the the highest senior level like it happens with every under 20s group you know you get players who look like sort of world beaters at under 20s level who just sort of get along okay at provincial level or sort of don't make it whatever I think that this group is better than previous groups that we might have seen like I think they're better across the board as opposed to having like a couple of standout players where you're like, well, he's obviously going to be fucking excellent when he plays for Ireland, you know. Um, I think that Evan O'Connell captained them really well. I thought, like, 
he, he, I don't know if it runs in the family or what, like, but he, he just, he has that sort of, he he has that sort of wisdom on him where you're like, but you're a child. I don't really understand where that's coming from. Yeah. And I think, like you said, like those two penalties at the end, like, especially the last one, like fair play to Jack Murphy, because I was absolute stones to just step up and kick that. And yeah, it's not the hardest kick you've ever seen, but also he's a kid and it's like, his first big sort of, start as well like. yeah it's like a hostile environment basically that yeah. he's doing it in and he just stood up and did it and he looked sort of cool as he, like calm and collected as he did it and it, yeah it was just just so impressive across the board and it's hard to see them not win a grand slam again this year like it's too early to say that i think in the in the adult men's tournament but like at under 20 level like this ireland team this ireland team seemed sort of untouchable until they lost that world cup final and so having sort of gotten over the hurdle of, you know, world champions, France, like it, it feels like it's definitely theirs to lose now at this stage. Yeah, that that's the thing. And like, I, I think with O'Connell, just going back to that, like the fact that he's played AIL almost every week, I think that stands some because like you do, it, to be a good captain, you have to learn how to think on your feet and you only get better at that with experience. And like, it kind mm-hmm. of stems from that. And like, Listen, I know we can slag off like Leinster schools and some of the coaches that the, and the I will. Leinster lads have. And we will. But like at the same time, <laughs> he's been coached for like Ian Keekley and BJ Bota. And, you know, I think Carl Sheridan was involved in UFOs. I don't know if he still is. Like there's incredible, I think Tommy O'Donnell might be still there. There's incredible wisdom around. And like that does seep in. I think it seeps into the likes of him and, and to other Ian players. Keatley, like Murphy actually. is a good example. Ian Keatley, I think, on the quiet is going to be a very, very good coach. I think he is a good I've coach heard, now. I've heard very good things about him, yeah. But I think that the more experience he gets coaching, I think that he will he will become sort of a name that we will be talking about in coaching. Kind of like I don't think that I'm not saying that he like he's comparable sort of coaching style wise to Felix Jones, but in the way that like Felix Jones retired and then started coaching and then all of a sudden you were like, Oh my god, this guy is actually like a really good coach. He's an incredible coach and you know he's won World Cups now and he's like look, we we'll talk about England, I'm sure, like but you know, like I think that Ian Keatley could end up with a trajectory kind of like that. And I think yeah. that like for his first game sort of involved with the under twenties, isn't that right? Um yeah. like just I thought really positive stuff across the board. Like just it was it was a really, really good performance. There's kind of yeah. that's that's kind of like the underline of it. Like it's just it you know, France didn't play have to play poorly for Ireland to beat them. Like Ireland just went out and beat them. Yeah. And they they flowed in in all fast the game. The attack was unbelievable and and like for Ian, it's such a cliche, but if he does go on a rise and does become a successful coach, couldn't happen to a nicer guy because he is an absolute legend. And like, I know it's such a stupid thing to say, but like, it is a factor as well. And mm. delighted for him, for the bunch. And like, again, 19 year olds going to 32 country, you know, a proper pro do ground and getting a big win in a big, in a big opener against the team that bet them last year is, is really great to see and really encouraging. So hopefully, more of the same coming. I know they've England in Bath to come later in the championship. That'll be a big one. But you'd imagine the other three games they should win pretty comfortably. So hopefully, hopefully they could be going back to back to back with those Grand Slams. But we will wait it's, and see. It's hard to see anything else. Like in, and I'm not saying that it's like a guarantee or anything like that. But you know we've seen it the last two years, and winning in France is the big one. Kind of like with the senior team, but like. I think the context is wildly different with that tournament. Um, but like, you know, winning in France is sort of the big hurdle and they've jumped that now, like sort of with ease. So 
you'd like to see them keep going and get that sort of that triple like a triple grand slam that's that's insane you know like any like for any team sort of you know other than the red roses like getting it getting that many just winning that many games you're just like this is this team is kind of special like yeah and it's it's the production and it's the coaching and it it's a lot of it but hopefully they they do go on and go all the way so from Aon Provence to Marseille next, yet again, as France hosted Ireland in another game dubbed as an early title decider. Here's hoping it will be because Ireland cruised to a record-breaking 38-17 win, their biggest ever away win over France. Incumbent out half Jack Crowley kicked 13 points to go alongside tries from James Gibson Park, Tyke Byrne, Calvin Nash, Dan Sheehan and Ronan Keller helping the host to the full five points. Trisha, it was a big win. There was some clutch zones from the younger players, the older players, like five points away from home. It, it just, you can't have asked for any much else from Ireland. What a response from last autumn's heartbreak. Yeah, I think like, you know, France did lose their heads. Like it, it's, it bears saying, I think the context. Almost like, literally in the terms of Paul Williams. <laughs> well, Ireland, Ireland almost lost their heads literally. Um, No, but like, Ireland can only play what's in front of them. That's the thing. And like we we have seen Ireland teams in the past sort of come up against teams that they should breeze past and make things really difficult for themselves. And this team didn't do that. Like they were sort of in charge. And it looked for a little while, I thought maybe like we might see a comeback from France, but then they just sort of seemed intent on not doing that. Um, So like Ireland were just so impressive. They didn't have to be impressive, but they were. Um. And like you say, you know, a bonus point win away against France. Like this Ireland team have never beaten this French team away from home. It's what it was it the fourth time in 52 years, I think they said on TV that they've won in France. Yeah, and f- something like that. Something like that. And, and it, like just so impressive. And like you say, you know, setting themselves up for the tournament. Like it's very much in their own hands now. Like like with the under 20s to an extent you know, winning away against France is sort of the big hurdle. And, you know, there are definitely things you can pick up on from an Ireland point of view. But like overall, it was just, it was super clean. It was super impressive. And, you know, it was a bonus point win away against France. Absolutely. And with Ben Nurse of the Rugby Paper and Rugby World Magazine and other publications joining us now as well. And Ben, like this was rightfully billed as another clash of the Titans, but also kind of a clash of, of the wounded animals. But it looks like Ireland took off the cobwebs. France remained ru- wounded. And it's hard to say. Maybe you did see this performance coming, but I don't think many people did see it from either side. No, I, I certainly myself couldn't have seen that come in in my wildest dreams. And I can't imagine many other people did. Um, I expected to see it to go either way by a point. I expected to see the tightest contest between two teams in the whole tournament. And what we got was the complete opposite, just utterly dominant from Ireland. It was good to see a little minor battle in my own head between uh, Luku and Crowley, the two guys stepping into the the the, the shirts left by the former greats. And uh, they both started really shakily. They both started very nervy. And I think mm. Crowley really grew into the game and, and he really stepped up. I think the his little pass for the burn try was a massive turning point for him. That little confidence boost, you could see him just grow into the game from there. 
Absolutely. That's more praise than we got on Irish TV for Jack Crowley. So that's, <laughs> that's a great starting point. What, like, what did Jack Crowley do to them? I'm sorry. But they had like a full fucking 15 minute breakdown of the three mistakes he made in the game and they got every pundit to talk about it in depth. It was insane. Yeah, but I do think like weird. it was so disrespectful for, you know, Maxine Luku to have to sort of try and steer that performance while Antoine Dupont was playing for Toulouse at 10, doing all matches at the same yeah. time. Like, it was just really, really, must have just, like, compounded the just hurt for France. But, like, France were playing, like, a team who were sort of looking around and waiting for Antoine to show them what to do to sort of get out of this hole. And he wasn't there, obviously. And it was just, they just played, like, they, they didn't know what to do. And that's so unusual for this French team. Like, I know that we haven't seen them play, like, an extended amount of time without DuPont, but like they sort of breezed through the World Cup pool stages without him there. And yeah, I certainly didn't see it coming that they would just sort of fold in on themselves almost and kind of, they kind of let Ireland almost do whatever they wanted, except like the scrum in the first half maybe, but it was sort of, you know, build as this big challenge and this huge statement should Ireland win this game and it almost didn't end up being that at all because it was sort of, it felt so easy for Ireland. It felt too easy. It felt like it was a trap. It was like, okay, but what's actually going to happen? Like when are France going to start playing? It was really strange one to watch actually. It, it did feel like that, especially when the kind of, there was that five minute period where Crowley gets pinned for really harshly. I think everyone kind of runs into the player in that the was air bullshit. in that instance. I think that was, that really could have went the other way. Crowley gets on Dixon's back. He reverses it fair enough. Then they have the lineup mall, which listen, I I can see why penalty tries given, you know, but then they don't play to play on. It was it was a bit of a weird one. I don't think I think they kind of found a way to an answer rather than knew what direction they were going to go with that one. And next thing you know, like that's a ten point swing because Crowley has stuck it within like eight or nine meters of the line, and you're back in Ireland to score in that in that possession, and it's a huge mm-hmm. swing. But France just that's when you expect them to get back into it. Next thing you know, Dan Sheehan's dotting down. You're like, okay, that's it done. You know, it was it was weird in that regard. And I, I like to talk about the players who stood out, but I feel like this game is about the new guys, Patricia, because Joe McCarthy got man the match. Jack Crowley was excellent. Calvin Nash, most meters made um, in green. But that goes alongside the likes of Ty Byrne, who was top in nearly every stat. Hugo Keenan tackled everything that moved in a blue shirt. Like, who impressed you? But in particular, if there's one or two guys. I think we sort of, any Munster supporter or anyone who's watched a lot of Munster games this season, last season, wouldn't have been surprised with the way Crowley grew into that game after the nervy start. Like, I never felt like it was going to sort of stay with him for the rest of the game. And like, you know, kicking a ball dead or kick going out of the full, like those things happen to the elitist of elite tens. Like it happens, you know, probably in every game, but like, it just happens sometimes. And he didn't let that sort of, you know, shake him at all. And I think, like, it's not, you know, everyone talks about Ireland get this, like, crazy 20-point win, this massive statement win. Like, Crowley's the person who ran that team to that win. And, you know, it's not... Crowley can't have played poorly with Ireland playing that well. Like, you, like yeah. Irish media especially want to sort of divorce the two from each other. But I thought that, like, once you know, take the first 15 minutes out of it. I thought that he played really well from there on in. McCarthy is insane as well. Like he is someone who you just sort of look at and you're like, oh, you are actually as good as they were saying that you are. Like sometimes they aren't, but like he is someone who, you know, if he stays fit and he stays sort of 
playing the way he is as he gets older he's just going to get better it's sort of yeah. scary to think how young he is and he's like that dominant already yeah it's the evolution factor like if he evolves at the rate he's going in particular like last year he was a penalty machine even the start of this year is a penalty machine but it feels like since Niederbar went in there it's dropped it's dropped dramatically and maybe that's just for playing bigger games and kind of having your head screwed on a bit more which is kind of natural as well um Ben who impressed you in in green or was there was there anyone in France that impressed you as well for Ireland, it has to be big Joe McCarthy. I've only seen him as a non-URC watcher. I have only seen him play two or three games and I've been really, really impressed. And I get most of my URC knowledge from people on social media whose opinion I trust. And all I've seen in my feed all week long is just watch out for this guy, Joe McCarthy. He's the next big thing. Seeing stats where he's out playing James Ryan and Ty Byrne. And he, he delivered. He was probably the best player on the pitch for the first half an hour or so. And then he didn't really fall off at all for the whole 80 minutes. If I had to pick a France player, I'd probably say Nolan Legarec, who he probably could have started. But it's always easier when you're that nine coming off the bench, especially when you're losing, to add pace and tempo and, and look like you, you were playing better than the starter. It's always easy. But um, is it true? I saw someone say this on social media. Is it true that Dupont could have played this game, this one game and then not the rest of the tournament? Feasibly, yeah, but I think he played for Toulouse. Was... He played for he Toulouse, did, yeah. so I think, like, I think the, I think it was sort of, you know, you can play this one game, but also, like, we kind of have to play the whole rest of the tournament without you, so we may as well play the whole tournament. Yeah, if, I, if I'm it. France, I'm doing that 100 percent without a doubt. <laughs> would you see the the game playing out differently with Dupont? Yeah, 100. I would, but also I think it goes the way of the World Cup quarterfinal, where he can only bring them so far. For you sure. know that like that was kind of the team that night as well, where like he was dragging them through those last phases, but they were going nowhere. And I think this I think game would have been like that over kind of the last twenty minutes. Maybe I think it's hard to measure how much better they would have been with him though. Like, and it's not even yeah. just directly with like Luku's performance versus how Dupont would have played. It's everything else that he brings. Like they would have scored more tries. They would have known what to do more. It just, I mean, personally, I'm kind of really glad that he didn't play, but. Like it seems, especially with it being Ireland as well and it being sort of probably the biggest game in the tournament, like if you could have him, part of me goes like, why the hell would you not pick him? But then I guess, you know, they they aren't going to have him for the next four games. So they may as well sort of take that plunge while they, you know, what's the point in having him for one game when Luke mm. has that experience now and he can bring that for their tournament? I don't that's know. That's the thing. That, that's kind of probably what they would have waited. And like he was captain last year so like they're probably sitting down it's probably him and Galtier sitting down having a conversation and feeling that's the best way to go and like to be fair he did play against Bayonne where there was like no internationals on the field last night of mm. course it's going to look like a bit of a severance game as well that's not like, Bayonne that's not not Bayonne Bayonne <laughs> that's, not what it, that's not what I tried to do that backfired last time I did it I'm not going to do that again <laughs> uh, we'll we'll kind of just move on to Wales Scotland in a minute but Ben, like France find themselves in a bit of a hole now because they have to play Scotland and Murrayfield where they've a really poor record, but they kind of have to win. And do you think we're going to see that shot in the arm performance or was there was there reason to be really concerned after after Friday night? I think the answer is we don't know. We don't know what teams, <laughs> to quote the old adage about French rugby, which we thought wasn't true anymore, we don't know which team's going to turn up. If that same team turns up, even though Ireland do make good teams look very poor, then I think they'll struggle for the rest of the tournament. I've, I've never seen the, the French backs look like such shells of themselves before, maybe with the exception of Peno, but 
Fiku, Dante, Moafana just looked lost, like they had no plan, no preparation whatsoever. Um, I think they've obviously they've got the talent, they've got the players to turn it around, but I was questioning if, if Galtier had, had run his course after watching that game at the time. Yeah, there, there was a few people raising that. I could see the merits to it because he is that kind of hands-on, strict coach. He's been there since 2019 as well. Like I know he was an assistant, but he was an assistant to Jacques Brunel in his last tournament. I think he, he got there for the World Cup. And maybe there's a bit of that, but maybe we just have to wait 12 months for full contact too before we actually find out what, what the vibes are like in, in the French camp. And Patricia Ireland hosts Italy next weekend, next Sunday at 3 o'clock. You would imagine... You know, that should be a comfortable win considering Italy's record in Dublin. But the bigger question that always comes this week, every year, how many changes are Ireland going to make? And tell me why it won't be 15 changes. <laughs> um, I think I think this is like the worst game that Italy could have had next up. I'm actually like kind of a bit heartbroken for Italy that they have to go to Dublin next. I think like it's it, no drag on Italy at all, but it is hard to see them getting you know, anything out of that game. Like Ireland played so well on Friday night and to go back home then, um, you know, that's just sort of, it, it feels like a step too far, I think maybe for Italy. But I mean, we're not going to see like a thousand changes for Ireland. That's not really how they do things, is it? But I'd like to see Crowley still at 10. I think it's important for him to get this whole tournament um, and like get as many minutes in each game as possible. Like he played the 80 on Friday night. I think that, he should probably play the 80 in all five games if he can. Um, I'd like to see Casey come in to play alongside him. I think that they, you know, there was an opportunity to do that on Friday night and there's an even bigger opportunity to do it now. Like, I don't know who you really bring in. The, the squad is sort of settled. The squad is what it yeah. is. There's not a lot of, you know, if Nash is, I think it was just a dead leg for Calvin Nash. Well, it looked like that's, anyway when he went off. That's what I heard last night. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a dead when, leg when he went off at the end. Like, so I'd like to see him get another game if he's fit. Maybe you, you know, you rest Keenan, but like, they won't do that though. They just don't really tend to do it. I could see there being... Could, if they really want to get Frawley on the pitch, they could rest Keenan and try Frawley as a full back. That's what I was thinking, do but you know? I just don't think they'll do it though. That's the thing. Like, it would be like, it It would make sense to play somebody else at full back, but they're, I just don't think they There's will. There's no I one think else. We'll see... <laughs> it's Larimer or like Stockdale. I'd like to see Jeremy Lockman involved, maybe even starting, yeah. because I think like Loosehead, especially like front row in general, but Loosehead especially, like you have to look at someone else eventually. It, you would, it can't be like with Johnny Sexton, where you only start looking at the other guys after he's retired. Like Kean Healy is not going to be playing for a thousand more years. Andrew Porter is struggling at scrum time, sort of more and more as games go on. And I think you just have to look at other players. So I'd love to see. Maybe, you know, Lockman and someone like O'Toole, like maybe change both props and have Porter on the bench then if you need to. Something like that. Like maybe, I don't know if Baird gets a start. Like it's really would hard to know with Ireland. If if he's fit, would you bring in Ringos? Probably, yeah. I probably would. would. I, probably, I, think, I don't like, think I would. I think I'd leave him on the bench at most and just be like, right, well, you got two weeks to Wales. You've played a lot of minutes, just rest up. Maybe, yeah, especially with the week off, actually. Like, maybe give him sort of 20 minutes if you can. Put him in, like, that 23 jersey. Give him 20 or 15 minutes and then set him up going into Wales. I don't know is this, is the sort of short answer to it. Because with Ireland, you feel like they tend to just pick the same team and they don't really have a squad anymore where they can just sort of bring in, like, seven new guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
that that's true. And I think they'll they will keep it to maybe three or four changes maximum. I think and maybe one or two extra on the bench and keep it at that. And like reality is that some bigish name player is not going to get any minutes before the first three games. Like realistically, it could be Ringrose, for instance. It could be it's someone Craig like Casey, isn't it? It could be Craig Casey. It could be <laughs> you know Luckman, Tom Stewart. People were calling for you know Nick Timoney. Other people were calling for Ian Henderson, who. Peter O'Mahony name-checked has been so important during the week in his first week as captain. Um, He was the first person over to Joe McCarthy to give him a hug after he came off. So, like, yeah, he's he's not on the field, but he's still showing his leadership credentials, I think it's, it's fair to mm-hmm. say. So it'll be interesting to see what way they balance it. But ultimately, it is Italy. You know, Ireland should be seeking a bonus point, especially, you know, as, as I put up the stat there the other day, the last two and a bit Six Nations they've only not got bonus points twice and like one of those there was a knock on on the line against Scotland which is remarkable to think of we'll move on to probably the game of the weekend possibly the most vibes game of the weekend um, besides Monster, obviously um, <laughs> and to carry it up I thought you win. were talking about Monster. you know what I was going to say like it's an excellent win against the Crusaders they are now officially the best rugby team in the world we all sort of knew that they were but it is now official because if you win the clash of the champions that makes you the ultimate champion so yeah, I mean it's it was it was great, but I I gather that you want to talk about I don't know Wales or something. Yeah, Wales Scotland <laughs> is where we're going to go next. And to be fair, it did it did deliver in its own way, proper tale to do halves because the visitors come away from the first win of Millennium Stadium in over twenty years after going twenty seven nil up right after half time, but won a twenty seven twenty six peak Scotland. I think you could <laughs> you could say. And Patricia, I'll start with you because it did feel like this was peak Scotland versus second half Wales, which was Pete Gatland. And like, what can you take away apart from the fact that you're a bit mind-fucked after it? <laughs> it was so unserious. The whole thing was just stupid. Um, Wales in the first half of that game were like maybe the worst performance I've ever seen from a professional rugby team. They were so stinking. I didn't catch this game live. I watched it afterwards because I was, as I said, I was in Cork. Um, and... Like, just looking at the score at halftime, especially, I thought, like, Scotland must be all over this Welsh team. Like, they must be just absolutely singing. And then I watched it and I was like, Scotland aren't even playing well. Like, Wales were so bad that, you know, Scotland, even just playing sort of fine, were enough to be 20 points up at halftime. Like, really good stuff in flashes. um, A couple of really well-taken tries, but, like, nothing sort of... You know, they weren't reinventing the wheel or anything. And Wales came out in the second half and didn't, like, really play that much better. They did play better because they couldn't have played worse, but they didn't even really play that much better. Scotland had just clearly sort of gone, yeah, 27, that's probably enough points. Like, that seems like the number of points that a game who, that a team who wins a game scores. Like, we'll just score that many. And Wales were able to just Just as they got the bonus point, but like, oh yeah, that's it, that's done. (laughs) Well, they didn't get the bonus point. Scotland oh, no, scored three Sorry, Wales you got know, bonus point, didn't they? Wales came away with two bonus points out of that game, which I think is going to be so valuable for, like, I I am of the opinion that everyone will take a game off someone in this tournament. So I think coming out of it with two bonus points where France have none is going to be huge for later on in the tournament. But, like, just a deeply, deeply silly game. I don't know what either team can take from that other than Scotland just, you know, play for 80 minutes instead of 45 and they'll be fine. But it was... Yeah, it was very, very unserious. Yeah, I mean, Scotland, unserious. <laughs> I think we've heard it a few times, but Ben, like they've been tipped as potential title contenders, but now it feels like, 
Well, they have to who win. Who tipped them? Who tipped them as title <laughs> contenders? Themselves, themselves. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. You've seen full contact themselves. <laughs> Stuart Hall, probably. Um, and Townsend. But like if they can get one win from their next two, I think they are, because like there's always a chance. But surely there's enough cause from concern in that 80 minutes to kind of derail the hype trend and pardon the pun there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It, I don't know if you two agree, but I- if I'm Wales, I'm taking way more encouragement from that game than Scotland. I think so. Absolutely. There's a massive difference between not turning up for 40 minutes and then getting into the game and playing some really, really good rugby in the second half to be in Scotland's position where they've turned up, they've put in a good performance, got in a great position and completely capitulated in the most comical fashion. Um, there was there was like 25 minutes into the second half and there was two stats that were like, Scotland had conceded the last 14 penalties in a row and they'd only been in the Welsh half for a minute or something. Just comical, comical mm. stats. I, I I don't know where to go with Scotland because they're always this team that you say play well and are a top, top team. And they ne- they never get close to winning a trophy. And, and this is the situation they always find themselves in where they can't put away what was a really poor Wales team in the first half. I was in the same position as Patricia. I didn't watch the much of the first half and I thought, wow, Scotland have turned up this year, they might be title contenders when I saw the score at half-time. But then I watched it back later and I agree, they, they, they didn't play well at all. In that more, fool, more fool us, Ben, for actually ever thinking that really, when, <laughs> when you actually think about it. Yeah, I, yeah I, I agree, they were clinical in taking the tries, but apart from that, everything was just handed on a plate. Like that, that Josh Adams moment, throwing the ball into the touch is a perfect example of just take three points, here, here you are. Um, yeah, I... I, I don't want to write them off completely for the title because it's always wide open the year after a World Cup, but I don't see how they recover from that performance and, and win the rest of their games, really. For all of the sort of, like, as as bad as Wales were in the first half, Scotland should have been so much further up. 20-0 at halftime seemed so sort of comprehensive until you watched the game and then you were like, no, that, this like, was like different. a sort of, this was like a 35-0 first half with how yeah. bad Wales were. And then, like... I guess, to Scotland's credit, once Wales got back to that one point behind, that last sort of 10 minutes, it didn't look like Wales were going to win. I didn't think anyway. Like, Scotland seemed to sort of refocus into the game at that point. And, like, they yeah. just sort of went, yeah, like, we'll, we'll just defend enough to get to get out of here. I think the biggest thing is how sort of disappointed Scotland were afterwards because I think that we would have seen them had, you know, they haven't won in Cardiff in 23 years or whatever it was. Like it, we would have seen them had that been, you know, last year or the year before, be sort of celebrating like they'd won the tournament and be, you know, like we won. Who cares about the second half? Like we won, we scored twenty seven points, whatever. But like Russell straight away was like, well, that's obviously not good enough. And I think that that's important for them to be like to front up to that because I don't think that that Scotland teams of old would have done that. But for Wales, like their their squad is so young, they're so inexperienced, and I think having you know whatever Gatlin said to them at half time, like I hope that the cameras were in for that one. Cause like whatever sort of, you know, horrible stuff he said to them, like it worked. I like, it didn't work yeah. amazingly. They weren't all of a sudden the 2015 all blacks in the second half, like, but they were good enough to score, you know, four tries and come away with two bonus points, which if you're not going to win is like kind of the best you can ask for. It puts them in fourth place in the table at the moment. Like, yeah, that's the thing. And like reading, Russell's quotes because uh, you remember you reminded me of it there and I got them up and like I listened to the interview with Sonia McLaughlin it sounds so different when you actually hear his tone like he's 
genuinely disappointed that they got into mm. a situation where they nearly lost that game. Whereas it kind of reads as, yeah, disappointed. Look, you know, the usual kind of media speak. But he was he was disappointed. I think. I think that you know, matters. I don't think I, that's for yeah. nothing. Like, and like especially when it's someone like him who's kind of laid back. He's often the mm. one who's just going to say, "Listen, lads, it's fine." But like, if he's upset over that, then you know, I would maybe I'd like to see that dressing room conversation as well <laughs> because that's the other side. Of, like Scotland, if they want to be taken seriously, to use your own words you kind of have to have that game won. Like Ireland last year were in the exact same position. They went like 27-0 up or some something close to that. They conceded a try, but like, you know, one try. They didn't let Wales have an absolute stiff. They basically just kicked the leather off the ball. It was like, yeah, no, don't care. We're going to save our energy for next week. Whereas Scotland, probably a bit naive, I think is, is kind of where you take from it. And like, I don't know. I feel like I didn't change my opinion on either side then because of it. Because... Scotland, you always knew there was something like this in them. You know, these crazy games that they have every year. It's the flip side of the France game they played last year. And Wales, you know they can put up to anyone at home. You know that they can turn it on when the crowd gets behind them. Now, to be fair, Bernard Jackman on RT made a quote that he's just like, they want the roof closed to keep the atmosphere in. They're going to need to open up because they need to get some atmosphere in here. And that was the way it was when Duan van der Merwe ran his try. It was, it was dead silent. It was eerie for Cardiff. But then... Next thing you know, like they're they're poking away at the line and, and they do get over. And I, even even the way the Wales scored, it wasn't efficient. Do you know what I mean? Like they they kind of had to really work hard for their scores as well. And I think they will be happy. And like they go to Twickenham next week. I wouldn't give them much of a chance, but like I'm not surprised. I think this is take the score line and take your opinions of the two teams, and it's exactly what we you'd have expected on Friday. Do you know that kind of way? And that's kind of I don't know if that's like a real criticism I think it's a weird it, it game to be. try and it's a weird game to try and take anything from I feel like yeah, because of just that's how it. stupid it was yeah exactly Ben have you any more thoughts on this one apart from unseriousness and <laughs> stupidness and, and the likes just on a more positive note you say that your your opinion of the two teams hasn't really changed I probably agree with that but individuals wise I saw a lot from the again the URC thing I saw a lot from guys like Alex Mann, Teddy Williams, Rio Dyer, Johan Lloyd, young, really, really young guys who put in really great performances, really impressive. And obviously people that we're going to see on the test scene for years and years to come. I think that was the one thing about Wales was it was the younger guys who did help to lift them. And like you mentioned Rio Dyer. Now, I, I had this game on on the corner of the laptop. Never mind, like, one screen. It was the corner of the laptop. I, was, I had a bigger screen looking at Barry Murphy's face for the for the watch along. But anytime he touched the ball, he looked like he'd do something. And, like, that is something he has. And Jan Lloyd, it's weird. Statistically, he had, like, the same kind of game as Costello because, obviously, Costello came off early, but adds a bit more spark, adds a bit more of an attack and flair and, it, it's oh, so that was like yeah. a nightmare for him and it's, I felt so bad yeah. for him like such a young guy he's, he's talented and, like, it's just not going for him that mm. performance is in like a lot of players I think yeah. Um, and it obviously his just came at that time and like I don't think that he's an untalented player I don't think he's not up for this level or anything like that but to be hooked at half time is just sort of it, it, it sort of it says a lot without having to say anything like nobody has to sort of talk about it but like you know you don't come out for the second half and you're sort of like, oh, okay, everybody knows how my first half went now. And yeah, you feel bad for guys. But like, I think, you know, 
I guess that Wales can see that they can score tries against teams. Like I, I don't, I don't know what they're supposed to take from it because of the extent to which Scotland just sort of powered down in the second half. Like it's like, yeah, Wales, Wales can be like, yeah, we can score score tries when the other team is standing still and letting us score them. Like I don't know if England are going to do that for them. Like maybe they will. Who knows? Right? No. It, it, it was felt like such a just sort of isolated incident of a rugby game that I feel like both of those those teams will almost be sort of in camp tomorrow like okay week one of the six nations now let's go like let's just pretend that never happened and sort of start completely fresh now next weekend I I, I can see that happening as well in a really weird way sometimes you do just have to be like yeah no forget about it I don't think the same will be said for our last two teams because we'll move on to Rome for the final game which was Italy hosting England and arguably the most entertaining game in in a weird psychotic way even though the second half was boring enough um the home side led at the interval but England went on to win 27-24 thanks to tries to Elliot Daly and Alex Mitchell Ben you're our resident Englishman this week and you know I I could open the floor to you but I'd probably just put it this way like Italy did test England in a lot of ways but probably most impressively when England just had to roll up their sleeves and just grind it out for like the, that third quarter, they did. And he arguably could have won by a lot more. Yeah, it was a tough watch, guys. Really tough watch. Uh, <laughs> I was close to just like giving up and supporting Italy halfway through and just, you know, giving my heart a rest because it was it was a tough, tough watch. I, I could sit here and make the excuse that we're missing a lot, a lot of players. I've not seen the numbers, but I think, We've lost more players from the World Cup than any other team. But at the end of the day, if South Africa, New Zealand, Ireland, France lose the same amount of players that we've lost since the World Cup, they're still smashing that Italy team. Like they're not, they're not making it that close. Um, the, the thing with us is that we're always in a team. Like I like to throw us some rope and think we're always a team in transition. We've always got some new coaches in, and we're always building towards something. And that's that's sort of the dream they sell you is they're always building towards something, which I do believe in. But it's like. When are we going to get good now? When are we actually going to have a good attack, have a good defence, have a good set piece? Because we've got the players to do it. The, a country with our resources and depth, which we saw from some young players who stepped up, we, we should really be, you know, have a good rugby team by now. But I guess we'll see how the rest of the tournament plays out. This is I mean, the guy whose team came third in the World Cup. It's fucking disgraceful, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> when when will we need a good rugby team with our bronze medal to go with our silver medal from last time? Like no, that, that, that wasn't like an Olympics bronze medal. It was like here's the Red Sea parting for you, and like the rest of us would just yeah. swim and if the we, sharks if, in the sea. Like if we'd met Ireland or France in the quarterfinals, I know exactly how it would have gone, and it wouldn't have gone the same way our game against Fiji went. Unfortunately, um, Patricia, like we we should talk about Italy as well because obviously we do have Ben here to talk about England, but Italy they kind of impressed, especially that first half. Like Caseda is Gonzalo Caseda, new head coach, wants to play expansive rugby and did. And like, what did you make of them? Because like it was kind of a tale of two halves them as well. Like they did just ran out of steam in that second half as well. Yeah, I think. Um... I thought England were poor in the World Cup, or the World Cup, no, the first half. That's what I'm still thinking about the World Cup. It, it never goes away, honestly. Um, the fir- In the first half, I thought England were poor enough. And that's not to take from Italy, because I thought that they were really, really good in the first half. I think they came out looking sort of, you know, like a team reborn almost. Like they were reinvigorated. They were playing like a team that had, you know, 
that sort of new coach shot, I suppose, that teams get sometimes. And I thought that they were like well worth their lead at half time. I think in the second half, like England sort of figured them out to an extent. And like that's impressive in itself in that to sort of stop the free fall as it's happening because like England were well on their way to losing that game. And had they lost that game, you would have almost not really said it was undeserved. I, I felt like it was like across the 80 minutes, it was really evenly matched. And like Ben can feel free to disagree. Like he definitely knows England more than I do. It felt like a, it felt like a sort of a moment for the Six Nations as a whole because we're so used to every year, no matter how well Italy play, no matter how poorly England play, England will just stick, you know, 50 on them. They'll win by 35 points. They'll blow them out of the water. And England weren't able to do that this time and Italy didn't let them as well. I felt like it was sort of both things working together. Like Italy came away with a losing bonus point. They were close enough to like, you know, one more score and they were there kind of thing. And it felt sort of, it made you sit up and take notice. I thought it just felt different from what we expect Italy-England games to be and certainly what I expected to see. Like, you always want to see the sort of the mythical like game where Italy show up and it's like a really tight contest and they maybe even win and like it's not to give them belly rubs for you know they lost ultimately like it's not it's not to sort of pat them on the back and say, say, the line. <laughs> say the line <laughs> I'm not I'm actually not going to say the line because I don't believe it but it's not like it's not to say like oh, that's good enough for you because you're only Italy like you know you, you you nearly you're nearly there kind of thing but it just felt it felt different from what England Italy games in the Six Nations usually feel like, and I feel like that's a huge positive for Italy and for the tournament overall. And like England, know like that they have enough. I don't think they were great. I don't think they had to be, but I don't think they were you know incredible or anything like that. But like they got their win, and that's what they take with them. Yeah, that's true. I, I it came to my mind when you were speaking about Italy there that you would have been watching this game in Cork known for its um strong italian vibe i might say so just <laughs> you could you could just give me a number as a percentage how what percent of people were shouting for italy down at gark uh oh a hundred like i i don't know was there like a rogue english person they were very brave <laughs> if they were there but look it's not you know it's i think it's not surprising that irish people don't tend to cheer for england let's put it that way Ah, it's, it's Italy. We're, we're just we, all did, it's, we all did history up until the juniors were. Come on, then. <laughs> I suppose. Um, ben, sorry, I had to witness that, but I had to ask the question. <laughs> but we, 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 we talked in the in our pre-tournament preview about like the new players that England have brought through, and certainly a few of them did impress. I thought Tommy Freeman was great. Ethan Roots got man the match. Alex Mitchell stood up as a as a, a very live option at, at scrum half in particular, and. Obviously, Finn Smith got on late on. In terms of the progression of this squad, like what players did stand out or, or who would you like to see start to, to bolt their way in? Yeah, well, all the names you mentioned. This is something that we've needed for a long time. And obviously, the first year of the new World Cup cycle is, is the time to do it. A, a big refresh. And I guess in a slightly sadistic way, everyone in England loves Owen Farrell. But it's, it's a good thing, I guess, that he steps aside for a little bit and we can see someone like Finn Smith. Um we, yeah, well, I think we're building and we, we've got a lot of young players. Faye Waboso was brilliant. Ethan Roots was brilliant. Uh, Finn Smith was brilliant when he came on. Just such a composed player, Finn Smith. Like Every time he gets the ball, you just know he's yeah. going to make the right decision. 
which is especially rare for a number 10. And some number 10s you watch and you think, I know he's going to make the wrong decision. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's hard to find too many positives from that game. But I think the biggest positive definitely is the young guys who played well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good to see. And we'll look ahead to, to next week really briefly because obviously we mentioned Italy slash to Dublin next week. England play host to Wales, as we mentioned. But how do you think England will fare next week, Ben? On the back of this win, like, again, is it kind of like Scotland? We just chalked down, okay, we won, but we just move on. Or, or what's the mindset will be? Because there's even, like, Marcus Smith could be back, potentially, very unlikely, but potentially Alex Mitchell was carrying an injury coming into this game. I think Ellis Gent, was he ruled out before the game as well? Am I right in saying? So, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's a couple of players that will be Would you pick Marcus up. Smith? Oh, me, personally, definitely, 100%. I'm a Sale fan and I, I don't think George Ford's anywhere near the, the peak of, of his career. And Smith's a guy that needs 80 minutes every single week at international level now. I think he's the future and the present. Oli Lawrence that's as well. That's what I was is, expected to say. But... Uh, <laughs> Oli Lawrence as well is probably the best player in the whole premiership in England right now. It's such a horrible time for him to get injured. Um, hopefully he'll be back for the, the last few games of the tournament. The prospect of Marcus Smith with Ollie Lawrence is way scarier than Marcus Smith and Fraser Dingwall. And I yeah, don't mean that with any disrespect, but like Smith plays his best rugby with a big bulky 12. Beside I didn't him. ask that question to be shitty either. I just genuinely find it very yeah. interesting what like actual people think about Marcus Smith because all you hear is that he's like the best player who's ever played rugby. And I I, <laughs> I like what when real people are like, no, like he's he's good or he's not good or whatever. Like, But I think Ollie Lawrence is probably his closest sort of Andreas Hazen sort of regen that you can get from an England point of view like and if that didn't happen when Ireland went to play them I wouldn't be like the most upset or anything like that but yeah I think it's interesting I think that they they shaped up to play a George Ford game and then weren't really able to play it and I think that that like is credit to Italy and I don't know if that was like England just misfiring or Italy sort of making them misfire I suspect I think it was Italy a bit of adjusted to be honest yeah. I think if England played that game last year, I think Italy will make too many mistakes and they never get out in front. Whereas they, to use the throwaway term, they, they managed the game way better this year compared to last year. Like they, I don't they think that was Italy's... More, I don't think it was know. their ceiling either. Like I think no. that there is room for them to get better throughout this tournament. I think it was a hugely positive start for them. Like I think that they'll be a little bit raging that they didn't get the win. And I think that that in itself yeah. is so sort of such an improvement from what we've seen in previous years. I think that they would have nearly written off England games in previous years before they started and go like, you know, we can look at Wales or, or Scotland maybe, but I think like getting that close and being, you know, ahead going in at half time is sort of different. It booked the trend a little bit, I think for an England Italy game and it like for Italy, I think they can massively build on that. If they weren't going to Dublin, you know, next this this weekend come and I'd say like whoever they were playing next would be sort of shitting themselves slightly I unfortunately it's Ireland like so I just don't I just don't see that being the case but yeah I think that I do think that like every team will take a game off someone in this tournament and I, I think that includes Italy this year I hope so when you look at that attack in particular and like it was good last year it looked even better this year and they still yeah. have guys like Simone Gese has been one of the best players in the URC. It just try scoring. Like nothing mm-hmm. else. Just give him the ball, he scored a try. And like you got guys like that to come back in. Capozzo didn't play, of course. He's come back in. Tommy Allen looked very, very good at fullback. Barred the missed penalty near the end, which was which was really 
tough to see because obviously it proved costly in the end. But like I do think there there's great signs for Italy. And like look at how Scotland gave away yardage near the end of that game. Look at how Wales were cut up cut up easily by Scotland. They can definitely score points and at that stage then it could just come down to a place kicking competition and a conversion competition. Um... I think Scotland, Italy and Wales could be a very, very interesting sort of mini tournament within the Six Nations. It'll be the spin-off to full contact. It'll be the I see that being like, like sort of, you know, Scotland beat Wales, but Italy beat Scotland, but Wales beat Italy kind of thing. Like I could see it being one of yeah. those. Um, like this tournament is just so open and, you know, despite the results going, maybe like other than the Ireland one, like maybe the results going sort of as you expected. I don't think that... I think, if anything, we have more questions over how this tournament's going to go as a whole than we did before it started, which I think mm. is a good thing. As you know, for someone watching it, you want sort of unpredictability. You don't want it to just be like, well, everything that we think is going to happen is actually going to happen. I've always thought with Italy, it only takes one. I thought they were really unlucky when they beat Wales that it was the last game of the tournament and they, yeah. they had a little break. I think it's a belief thing. It's I fully, I think their players are up to it and the game plan's yeah. up to it. It's just a, a belief thing. Like they, they get to the last twenty minutes of a game and they don't believe they can win. I think it just takes one. And I think if they beat us at the weekend, I, I could see them winning another and maybe a third game in this in this tournament potentially. I think yeah. they they were the one team that I was really excited to see how they were going to play this weekend because of the new coaching staff. But they they pretty much just played exactly how they've been playing the last few years under Crowley, which is attack from anywhere, get the ball wide as soon as possible. No kicking game whatsoever. <laughs> Their exits from the 22, still diabolical. Um, and I think the best part about the game is that the fact they lost and made so many errors is that the next full contact series will have the Italy coaching staff losing their mind again, which was the best part of the season for me. At least they'll be speaking Italian though this time. <laughs> which I know a lot of people weren't too happy with because Gonzalo Caseda um, had a brilliant interview with BBC Rugby Union Daily and did just say, yeah, I've started speaking a few words of Italian I've done a full meeting in Italian at this stage and for everyone who binge full content at that stage you're like oh lord that didn't take long did it <laughs> you know <laughs> you know Duolingo is a very handy tool apparently you know you could use it lads but I think we, we'll leave it at that because that's all three well four games this week and I think we, we'll push on with that format going forward four games to look back on but just a quick reminder of how things stand after the opening weekend because might as well get the most out of this as, as long as we can. Unsurprisingly, Ireland top on five points. England have a slight advantage in second over Scotland, both of whom on fourth. Um, England second, Scotland third. Wales are on two points in fourth. Italy on one with their lose bonus point in fifth. And tournament favourites, France, minus 21 points difference and on zero points overall. Not many would have seen that coming. Next weekend, we see play resume in Murrayfield of Scotland take on France and there that day. England host Wales from Twickenham. And finally, on Sunday, Dublin sees Ireland host Italy. Really, really quickly before we go, who's your three winners next weekend? I'll start with you, Ben. Scotland, France, England, Wales, Ireland, Italy. How do you see them going? I think France will beat Scotland. They'll bounce back. I think England will beat Wales in a, a classically England-Wales tense tight affair. Awful first 30 minutes. It'll probably be 3-3 three, three or 6-6 six, six at half-time. Exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> There's exactly every We already know it's what's going to happen. Um, and then, obviously, Italy will be Ireland to, to finish up. 
no, I'm joking. Ireland will win that game. <laughs> right, listen, if if you really wanted to be brave and just nod at in the I'm joking, like fair <laughs> enough. Like I respect it. But, <laughs> Patricia, I feel like the first one is the most coin toss, then potentially in Twickenham and then not so much in the last game, but who's your three winners? I find it hard to disagree with Ben, but then I could also like really easily just see it being Scotland, Wales and Ireland kind of thing. Um, I think France are due a bounce back. I just don't know if they're sort of good enough to do it right now. Um, And Scotland, like, I think Scotland are also due a bounce back, even though they won. Um, So that one, I feel like I almost can't call. Like, I'm going to say Scotland to just edge it, like edge it, edge it. Um, And I think, yeah, I think it'll be England and Ireland. Probably, but I think that England Wales game is going to be like nearly unwatchable. <laughs> it's not what we kind of come to expect. At this <laughs> the Six Nations is great, but certain games are less watchable than others. That should be the real tagline. We'll leave it at that, folks. It was really enjoyable this evening taking the time to talk. And my thanks again to Ben and to Patricia for the show. So thanks very much for coming on. Thanks, Kenneth. And I will be back on Friday because Ireland plays Sunday. I'll be back on Friday to preview Ireland's. Round two clash with Italy with a round recap show to follow later that week. So thanks home to everyone for listening. As always, please do like, subscribe, leave a review, whatever you like. And you can find all our links below. But for now and until next time, take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.